Lord, we thank you for the mercy and pity that you show on us. We thank you that as we cry out to you, as so many have, um, we receive answer, um, that you come to us in our distress and you rescue us and bring us healing. This is not always um, in the timing that we think is best, but Lord, what do we know? You are the all-wise God. You are. You see the beginning and the end Um, You ordain all the ends and the means. Um, Help us to be your servants, not try to be your rulers. Help us to look to you in every moment and wait and anticipate that which you have promised to do. Give us this spirit even now, this this, uh, holy anticipation at the grace, the powerful grace of your word. Bless us as we hear it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, You may remain standing if you're able. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. 
and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You may be seated. I'd like to begin considering this passage um, in, in three sections. First, a dark place, a dark place, then a probing question, and then a powerful word. It is a dark place that Ezekiel is brought to in the spirit of the Lord. He's brought uh, not to a high place, but a low place. Um, Dark, I don't mean necessarily in the sense of of light, but um, in the sense of depressing in a way. Um, It is a depressed place, a low place, a valley, and it's full of bones, full of bones. And bones, a lot of times if a valley was full of bones, if you read about that in the newspaper, you would expect that they'd be talking about dinosaurs or something like that, right? Buried bones, uh, discovered bones. Um, Imagine a valley full of bones where the bones are all sitting right on top. Imagine that they were not just random bones that you couldn't identify, but they were very clearly human bones everywhere you looked. It would be maybe one of the most disturbing things you'd ever see. Not buried, we are told, and very dry. I don't know much about this, but from the little bit of looking up I did, it takes a while for bones to dry. It's not something that just happens right away. Perhaps you know this, uh, leaving a carcass out or something like that, or you throw it away in the trash, and you open up your trash a few days later, and it's basically the, still the same thing, right, before the, the garbage service comes and picks it up. It takes time for bones to dry out. Um, if they're left exposed, there's different ways it can happen. If they're left exposed, a lot of times animals start, right? They pull off the various pieces of flesh and sinew, and then eventually, you know, microbes and tiny creatures work their way into the um, blood vessel cavities and things like that and clean it all out. But it, it, takes, it takes time. Um, one set of instructions I read, uh, a man who sort of does this for a living, collects bones and then displays them, and maybe it's a museum work or something like that. Um, as I understood what he was reading, he buries them into the ground um, um, to speed up the process, and it takes like a year or something. It's a while. So we're in a place that's not just recently dead or on its way to death. This is a place that has been in uh, this state of death for a long time. A long time. The bones aren't just there. They're dry and even very dry. This describes so much the spiritual condition of Israel. As, as we read later in the chapter, we read um, of the people crying out and saying, our bones, this is verse 11, 
uh, or not verse 11, yes, verse 11, behold, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. God is giving this picture to us uh, through Ezekiel of their spiritual state, and it's honestly the spiritual state of all who are cut off from the Lord, all who are caught in their sin and put to death by it. Sometimes we can hide these things. Um, We can hide our spiritual state, but it can come out like we hear in their words here, in voices of desperation, in sadness and anxiety, in rebellion and anger, in various ways. The, The death that is sometimes covered and on the inside comes out. But here, for the sake of clarity and for the sake of understanding exactly what the condition is and what God is going to do, he uses this picture of these bones, many bones, on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, from this dark and low place, then, God um, brings Ezekiel there, and then he asks this probing question. Verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? It's interesting the way God asks questions. The question made me think a lot about Jesus um, throughout the Gospels, the questions that he asks that are often confusing, um, difficult to figure out exactly what he's getting at. Um, often very probing. Um, Jesus has a way, the Lord has a way of, of turning over like, cards on a table, you know, like in a magic trick, and then he's like, and it's that one, right? And you're like, yeah, that's my card, right? It's, he has this way of, of revealing things to us. And he asks this question, can these bones live? I want to pause here, and I am pausing here to meditate on this for a moment, because I think it's a worthy question to apply to a lot of things in our lives. Um, There are things in our lives that we have given up on, (laughs) long dried out, left long back and long ago. Things that maybe um, are the source of much trouble and sorrow, and we think, you know, there's no rescue from this. There's no hope in it. Um, We maybe look at ourselves, um, our need for forgiveness. Perhaps we look at other people and the salvation that they need. Um, We look at situations and we wonder what can be done. And then sometimes, if you're like me, uh, you just kind of stop wondering. And there can be some good in that. But sometimes God calls us to press a little more into places where we're uncomfortable and to ask hard questions. I think one of the things that God is getting at here and asking this question is one of the things he's doing is he's, he's kind of demanding that Ezekiel and us, with Ezekiel, think about it. Not just go, wow, oh, a bunch of bones, but think about it. Can these bones live? If you say yes, why? If you say no, why? It's worth asking those questions. Ezekiel has a good answer, of course. Oh, Lord God, you know. I have a hard time not reading it as a kind of uh, excuse answer, honestly. 
Um, but maybe it's not that as well. I'm not exactly sure what sort of tone of voice to, to hear in my head when Ezekiel says it. Is it the voice of, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to answer this question, so I'm going to just sort of bounce past this back to you? Um, or, is it a question, or is it an answer of faith? I'm saying, this is, many commentators take it this way, say, Ezekiel says this as a sense of, in the sense of, I don't know. It's a yes and a no. There isn't a clear answer to this, but my faith is in you, and I know that what you say and what you know is true. It's a good response. It's a good response. It doesn't invalidate the importance of the question, though. Remember, the question is not just one I'm proposing, it's one God asks Ezekiel. It's a good question, even if we can't necessarily answer it exactly uh, with all the certainty we might hope for, it's still a good question because it's forcing him to think about the Lord in the context of this situation. And that's very good. And so I'm inclined to think his answer is a good one. Oh, Lord God, you know. After this probing question, we come then to the powerful word. He says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. There are some really, um, there's a lot of times in Scripture where the Lord speaks to things that we don't normally speak to. This morning in our Sunday school time, we considered the question, um, do we have legitimate reason to believe that those who have departed um, and are in heaven can hear us? Um, the answer is, is no. But God's different. When we speak, if I want to talk to any of you this week, I need to go to you in person, I need to send you a text, I need to email you, call you, write you a letter. Somehow I have to sort of get that message to you, and I'm trusting not only that that method of communication is going to get to you, but also that you are capable of understanding it. God's talking to bones here. He's talking to bones Oh, dry bones, he says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I don't know what's in the Lord's mind here and it doesn't really matter. I don't need to know that. But what we do see is him speaking to these inanimate, dead, very dry, dead, long, uh, long left out bones. And he causes them, and he tells them to hear, to listen. Think about it for a moment, just for fun and encouragement. The way the Lord speaks to other things we don't normally speak to. Um, the wind, when the Lord Jesus calls the wind and tells it to stop. Jonah, I always think about Jonah, a great example there, right? Um, God uh, speaks to the wind, stirs it up. God speaks to the, to the fish, and it swallows Jonah. He causes a, a, a little worm or something like that to eat a plant, right? It's a, it's a real irony, I think, in the book of Jonah, because 
everybody's hearing the word of the Lord except for Jonah. <laughs> like the, 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 sailor, the sailors get it, the sea gets it, the wind gets it, the, the fish get it, the insects get it, the plant gets it, right? Uh, uh, the, the king of Tarshish gets it, or, or yeah, the king of Tarshish gets it. Everybody gets it except uh, the prophet of the Lord. Everybody's hearing, everybody's responding, everybody's acting except the one person you think should be. It's a little bit of the sort of dark humor in that book. But it's a reminder, I bring it up just to remind us that the Lord causes things to happen with his word. He's not like us. He's not like us. Remember, even in the creation of man, right? Um, in the creation of the whole world, it was something that was spoken into existence, when the creation of man using the dust of the ground to create human bodies. That's amazing. He's amazing. So, we have this powerful word. And it's a word, interestingly enough, that is a declaration, a, a promise. Right? He proclaims this good news to these bones. He says... I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. I just close my eyes and try to imagine this scene. That's amazing. It makes me also want to learn anatomy a little better. Right? All of these intricate, detailed parts of our bodies all coming together perfectly, bone to bone, everything in its exact right place. Archaeologists, when they find um, bones, if things aren't intact or it's all scattered around, it takes some time to kind of figure out you know, what goes where and this sort of thing. Here it's just happening organically in a way. It's like they're just doing what they're supposed to do, except they're bones, remember. <laughs> they're bones and, and flesh and skin, and this, this, this thing, this body is coming to life, and not just one. When we get to verse 11, we read, um, it was an exceedingly great army. We go from, notice these terms, these superlative terms, very dry bones, to exceedingly great army. Amazing. This powerful word speaks. God speaks uh, this word of life. He prophesies. Uh, he speaks this word through his prophet, and they come to life. The picture of it is accompanied by sound uh, in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, a beh and behold, a rattling, and, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. This is, right, life out of death. God speaks this word to something that is not yet alive, and he and it comes alive, not because of some internal power of the bone, right? Bones can't do anything, but because of the external a power of God. He speaks to them this word, and they come to life in stages. First, 
um, bone to bone, the sinew, the skin, all of this. And then um, a second prophecy, a second stage comes and spirit is given to them. Life, the breath of God, is very similar to the creation of Adam. And when God breathed life in, he first right made him out of the dust of the ground and then he breathed life into him. A lot of what God does in our lives is a process. He doesn't have to do it that way. He could do it any kind of way he wanted to do it. But a lot of times, the coming to life um, is a process. I think of of the man who um, Jesus healed his sight and can kind of see it first. And he says, they look like trees walking around, right? And then after a while, oh, okay, those are people. Right? Or you think of um, the, the disciples and all the time that they spent with Jesus, um, progressively learning and learning until they finally started, um, especially at Pentecost, to begin to awake as the Spirit, the breath of the Lord, came in upon his people. The house of Israel awaking. We think about 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God expired breathed out, profitable for rebuke, correction, training, and righteousness that we might become men of God, alive, not very dry, but alive and ready to serve. In the first instance, all of this points to the house of Israel. We are told this. Verse 11, we are given the meaning of, of this of this scene. He says to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Now God did provide a kind of restoration and bringing them into the land, but not exactly in the way that he speaks of here. Um, there were, he does uh, with these, these, these bones here, um, but uh, we don't read of a, another instance in which all the graves right throughout Babylon and other places are opened up and you know, the dead people rise and then come into Israel. Um, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't kept his promise. He kept it first by restoring them and bringing them back to the land in a kind of shadowy way. But he will fulfill this in a final way at the resurrection of the dead that is promised to us in Jesus. And this is really good news for all of us because the promise here is not just to the house of Israel. It is to the world through Israel. Israel, throughout the Old Testament, is perceived as this light, this family through whom all the nations in the world would be blessed. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and he lives, and he dies, one of the objects, or one of the things that he is doing is he brings together both Jews and Gentiles into one house. One house, one people. Now, this is important because what I'm telling you is that this promise here in Ezekiel applies to us. This promise of a great resurrection and being brought into um, 
into the land of Israel, not the, the physical land, but the great kingdom of God, even the new heavens and the new earth, which this land points towards, the glorified bodies in a glorified kingdom, that's a promise not just for them, but for us as well, through Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. There was a time, in other words, when Gentiles, yeah, don't read this Ezekiel 37 stuff and think it applies to you. It doesn't, right? However, that alienation came to an end, Paul says. There was a time when you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, this is verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the the hostility." So you see, what Paul is saying is that Jesus comes, breaks down this dividing wall, and merges two formerly separate people into one, Jews and Gentiles, which then when we go back and read these promises to the house of Israel, we are those that belong to the house of Israel. These are promises for us, and they are promises for us in Christ. John 5.21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Son. Jesus Christ gives life to whom he will. This is in John 5.21. Do you remember what happens right before that? It's a scene sort of similar to Ezekiel. This passage I'm reading in Ezekiel. It's it's a scene where there's this multitude of invalids laying underneath this, I think it's called the portico of Solomon. Uh, All these these people. And there was this pool that people would try to get to to get healing for their various infirmities. And there's this one man there who says, um, remembering off the top of my head, I think it's 38 years it's a long time anyway. He's been there a long time. And he says, and, and I, I think Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He says, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't get to the pool. And every time I try to go, people step before me. And Jesus tells him to pick up his bed and walk. This man had been unable to heal himself, unable to get to the source of healing, unable, uh, uh, even, it's a pitiful scene, sort of like the valley of these bones, right? All these people just suffering and, and, and striving and, and, and finding no relief. Jesus comes and says to him, pick up your bed and walk. And he walks out. And then they want to kill Jesus. And then that's why he says what he says here. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life 
to whom he will. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, a section that talks about the resurrection of the dead and the, um, the, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, says that we are no longer destined for wrath. You are not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation. He died so that we might live. And indeed we do. We begin that life here and now in no longer being destined for wrath, no longer being destined for death, but being counted among the living, being counted among those who are in Jesus, who belong to him and to his body, who died and rose again from the dead. Jesus, after all, by the power of God, rose again from, arose, uh, yes, rose from, from the dead and promises that all of us who put our faith in him and in that powerful word, the word of God, the son of God, we too will rise. Now this is um, truly amazing, right? This, this passage in Ezekiel, we imagine that, I mean, if you take a, a Ziploc bag full of bones and just kind of shake it, right? You can imagine how what that sound might be. <laughs> now imagine a whole valley of bones. I can't make the sound, right? <laughs> Try to imagine it, right? This whole valley of bones rattling, coming together, coming together, standing up, the breath of God coming from the four winds of the, of the earth, from all of these directions, <laughs> and it comes in and he fills them up and there's this massive army. Amazing, right? Amazing, and a picture of the life that is to come. But the New Testament talks about this as well. And it's even more amazing, right? If that isn't enough, uh, the passages that we have in, in the New Testament that speak to this are, are stunning. I'm going to read just two to you. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, first of all, verse 42 Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And this resurrection that we will receive is to immortality. I am inclined to think that um, what Ezekiel saw, or what Ezekiel experienced here was a, a vision, like other visions that he's had, um, which means that we don't need to ask the question, what happened to the army, right? Like, did they keep living, or did they die, or something like that. Um, just the vision was over, and the sign had been given. But here we know what happens to this army, we know what happens when we and all who have put their faith in Christ will raise from the dead. We raise imperishable, never to die again. And if the valley, uh, if the valley of dry bones and this great army is impressive, consider this passage from Revelation chapter 7. Another uh, vision here uh, given to John Revelation 7, verse 9, I'm going to end with this. We read, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, right, dead people, but not dead anymore, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This picture of heaven, this picture of not just a valley of dry bones, but this great, innumerable, this multitude of people, as many as the sands, uh, the pieces of sand on the beach and the stars in the heaven, these promises made once to Father Abraham, fulfilled in Christ. When we experience and see and feel that suffering that Israel felt, when we feel a lack of hope, when we feel that things are at their end, that there's nothing left to give, that there's no more there, just a dry bone, whether we're seeing that in our world, whether we're seeing that in our own hearts, we know that we can look to God in Christ and have resurrection from the dead. That's his promise to us. And it's a promise that he, um, it's a promise that he has already begun to fulfill with his own resurrection and the newness of life that we have in him. So let's learn to call out to him, to depend on him and look on him for every miracle that we need. Let's pray. Our Lord God, if it were not for your salvation, um, we would still be dead and dying. If it were not for your salvation, we would not be uh, grafted on to this great uh, vine of life. We would not be a part of the, the tree of your people, this great family tree. We would be still alienated, separated, destined for wrath. But as it stands, because he, our Lord and Savior, stands, because he has risen from the dead and we are in him, we are as bones that have come to life. We are those who are once chained and have been set free. We are those who are once in darkness but have now seen and come to love the light no longer wasting our ways, simply letting the, um, the things of death overtake us and enslave us. Oh, Lord, but now we put to death that flesh that is within us. We put it to death through the cross of Christ, and we live. We live by the Spirit of God, who's breathed out on us and who has baptized us, who has caused us to be reborn unto newness of life that we might serve and live and praise and sing of your most holy name. Lord, we ask that we would 
um, we would be these kinds of servants, alive servants, joyful servants, praising servants in every um, way. And we ask that in all this, you would receive all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, our Savior, amen.